Hello, listeners. As you may know, we are quickly approaching the 50th episode of this podcast. I've really appreciated the audience and their enthusiasm for this show. So I could really use some help. And what I'd appreciate from you is just to take a few moments and fill out the survey in our show notes below. Survey should only take a few minutes. I just want some feedback from you about what has been your favorite episodes. How would you improve the show? What are topics you really like? What are some guests you'd like to really hear about? And also just any feedback you have on like audio quality or length of the show. I'd really appreciate it. So if you could take a few moments and go to the show notes, the link is in there and fill out the survey, I would really appreciate it. Some of those results I'm hoping to share with the audience when the 50th episode comes out in a few weeks. Until then, please do take the time, take the survey, and share it with others you know that are big fans of the show. And again, thank you for listening to our program. Welcome to another episode of Empower App Show. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, we have with us Chris Epp Greensburg. Hey, Chris Epps, how you doing? Hey, I'm really good. How about you? Good. It's good to see you after uh, maybe like what, year and a half we met at TriSwift over some veggie, vegan, vegan sushi? Oh, uh, yeah. It was this Beyond Sushi place in New York. It's really nice. So it's a place where you kind of don't like sushi. So that's the place for those folks. So it's not typical sushi. It was delicious. It was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. So we're actually speaking at a conference this year, UIConf, right? Yeah. So this year it's uh, in virtual world, like everything nowadays, basically. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty pumped about the conference. I visited it two years ago in person because that time actually I lived in Berlin. So it was really nice, uh, nice conference. And then I personally know the organizers, so I think they will do a pretty good job organizing in uh, in virtual world. So I will be speaking on asynchronous programming in Swift, kind of update to my talk I did in Denver at 360i Dev, talking about dispatch queues and operation queues and premises, GCD, and combine, of course. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that topic. What are you speaking about? I'm speaking about WebSockets. So it's maybe a niche topic, but now it's uh, getting more popularity because nowadays everything is real-time, you know, like you want to get notifications and all apps are like real-time. So it's not like static anymore. So I think it's pretty big topic, especially in gaming and so forth. Yeah. And we'll talk about uh, WebSockets and some of the stuff I've been working with when it comes to WebSockets a little bit later. So what exactly do you do for a living? Actually, right now I'm between jobs. So funny as it sounds. So I'm for kind of for my next venture. But uh, yeah, mostly I'm doing making applications and solutions for all Apple platforms. Also for iPhone, for Apple TV, iPads, Apple Watch and, and uh, everything. So. I try to not only code, but also try to f- understand what to code, for whom to code. So, yeah. And you mostly do Swift development. It sounds like kind of we're in the same boat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had a really great idea for a topic today. And we did an episode, um, gosh, I want to say like a year ago uh, with my colleague Eric, where we talked about 
bit different backend solutions. We talked about mm-hmm. whether you want to build your own or use something like EC2 or whether you want to do use a cloud solution like Firebase or CloudKit. Uh, we talked a bit mostly about REST APIs. Yeah. Well, we had a, we talked a little bit about GraphQL, which it sounds like you have a deep expertise in and how GraphQL works. Uh, yeah, could you explain yeah. a little bit what GraphQL is and how it's an alternative to REST APIs? REST has been a standard, like de facto standard for many, many years. And uh, still technology is really great and uh, it's really fine for most of the cases. But if you want more flexibility, then GraphQL uh, shines. So GraphQL actually originated... I guess from Facebook. Yeah, that's yeah, the, I believe so. Yeah, so Facebook created this, uh, how to say, querying data from the server. So instead of with the rest, if you want like username, just get from the server username, then you get all the user details. But with GraphQL, you can specify, I, I just want username and maybe first name, and that's it. I don't care about other fields. So it's uh, more flexible and generally faster because it uses less data resources and uh, it's more extensible so for future as well so basically you have this schema agreement between client and the server and then you can uh, ask information what what you want so it started in javascript world where everything is kind of dynamic and uh, now it's getting more popularity for in other platforms like ios and and so forth but of course there are some couple of downsides which we will cover during this podcast i guess yeah I remember, just to date myself, uh, I remember SOAP. And also, when I did my master's project 15 years ago, I used uh, XML RPC. This is back in the early days when like XML was everywhere yeah. before Jason kind of just blew it out of the water. Yeah. But like REST APIs, I mean, there's stuff like hypermedia as well, but like REST APIs really uh, seem pretty robust. And I'd say like here to stay, why do you think REST has been so successful over the last, like, over decade years? I have used those soap ones as well. And, uh, I mean, back in the days, it was, like, good and everything was working. But now, of course, if you look back, then it's kind of, I don't know, shaky or whatnot. You know, this XML schemas, like, gigantic uh, things. Right, exactly. XML just, it got... To a point where it was like really bloated yeah, yeah, for yeah. what you need. And then like you look at something like soap, especially like there's so much like metadata yeah, and yeah. information thrown around that's just not necessary. Whereas like at the end of the day, the, the simplicity of JSON just works so well. Yeah, I think REST is easy to learn and easy to reason about because there are these you can get information, you can update, you can put whatever like it's really straightforward and once you get uh, like user information or something you have a backslash user endpoint and uh, if you want specific uh, user then one another backslash and id so it's really easy to uh, understand so i think that's the reason why rest has been around and i think it will still be because it's not that you need to run to the graphql if you don't need this flexibility because it comes with the cost as well so I think REST is, yeah, in general, it's easy to learn also for uh, new folks and and, uh, not so huge uh, learning curve. And also, 
mainly all the languages support REST in like dozens of great libraries. Yeah. So what do you think is like the need for GraphQL? Because it almost seems like what we're doing is we're offloading a lot of the um, interpretation that most REST APIs have to do to basically create mm-hmm. a SQL query. And we're offloading that over to the client with GraphQL. Like that seems like the big advantage of GraphQL is that you have that flexibility of creating your own SQL query in that like GraphQL format. Um, Whereas with REST APIs, you pretty much have to like figure out how to access the database accordingly to get that data that you need. Um, and And that limits the client for what queries it has. But then it also, you know, I could see advantages of that as well by like limiting what the client has access to. I think there are advantages in both sides, also for client and server. Like, for instance, let's start with server. Because when you implement the server, you have these REST endpoints. You want new endpoint, you need to create the endpoint, add fields and all that stuff. And maybe need to create some versioning or something. But if you have GraphQL, then there is more flexibility. But of course, uh, implement GraphQL on the server, it's not an easy uh, piece of cake job as well. And for the client, like you explained, you have this querying mechanism like SQL. So it's, it's more flexibility. And if this is something you really need, or also making apps faster, because if you just need one uh, piece of information with one call, because for REST, for instance, if you need to get like users, uh, like employees, their salaries or something, then you need to have um, multiple calls, right? Like multiple requests. But with GraphQL, you can create just one request and that's it. And so it's uh, it's faster. And in some countries, it's a big cost of data. Like Brazil, I heard that uh, data costs a fortune there. So it uh, might benefit there as well. So I think that's the reason also uh, Facebook invented it for uh, this flexibility and also saving on and reducing the latency. That's a really good point about like saving money on data because we don't really think about that. And then it also sounds like I, I think so GraphQL, not only do you have an ability to manipulate how you yeah. filter the data you receive, but you also filter out you can filter out what fields you want to return, it yeah, sounds like yeah, as well. Yeah. So that's something else to really think about. So what are some criteria you'd follow when you uh, want to recommend GraphQL to someone? If you are ready to uh, experiment also. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, like everyone needs to be on board. Uh, backend folks and uh, like frontend or like client, like app, app folks as well. So everyone needs to be on board because it's not an easy task. But in the future, it can be more extensible. So you don't need to just bug the backend folks if you need just one field uh, extra or move that one field to another place or whatever, like another module, uh, like model. So I think that's the biggest uh, thing. And also, yeah, the need to be aware that the learning curve is huge. But the main factor, I think, it is flexibility and performance uh, gain. If this is something... I know one bank here in my country, they moved to GraphQL and they really like this uh, flexibility part because for banking also it's security. They don't want to expose all the fields. So basically they send to the app only those fields what app is requesting. So uh, maybe that's something as well. So it's 
it comes with uh, GraphQL. And again, I think the biggest factor, you can go in this uh, model structure as deep as you want. Like with, unlike the rest, you maybe sometimes you need five requests to get and structure the UI, let's say. And then it's, uh, you need to take uh, in some libraries like Promise Kit and then uh, put these requests in sequence or something. So with GraphQL is just, I mean, it's not easier, but it's, uh, how to say, more elegant anyway. Many of you have probably heard about App Store optimization and how it can get you more downloads. There's a lot of demand for apps right now, so it's a really great time to give it a try, and it's easier than you think. The folks at App Figures have an easy step-by-step guides and intuitive tools to do that, which many indie developers are using to get more downloads. The guys who run it are indie devs who had a need and created a tool. 11 years later, it's an all-in-one platform for developers who want to get more downloads and make more money with their apps. Try App Figures for free. And if you like it, use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you to App Figures for supporting our program. What are the challenges? Because you said there's like a big learning curve when learning GraphQL. What are the big challenges in that case? About the backend, I cannot answer that much because I'm not backend developer myself. But I uh, I have heard from from uh, my colleagues that uh, it wasn't easy to implement that thing because of uh, basically database cost. So for these nitty gritty things for which you want to request, it goes to the database, and then some of the queries can be quite painful to debug because they can take more time. Because if you have these REST endpoints, then you set these uh, like things for database. So it's like indexes. So it uh, runs faster. But if it's in GraphQL, then client can ask whatever, right? So in, that's the cost for backend. And for the frontend, in JavaScript world, it's a bit easier because JavaScript is really dynamic language. But for Swift and these languages, which are like type safe, it comes with the cost that um, everything is optional. Mm. And uh, you need, because, you know, it's like every, you get data back, but you don't know what, you, I mean, you know, but everything can be optional because there is possibility that there is no data inside. So mm. you need to unwrap it uh, in many levels. So that's the biggest downside I didn't like because, I mean, it is type safe, but it's, Everything is optional. But the rest, you know, username has user. Uh, I mean, user has username or first name, like for sure, right? So uh, that's the biggest downside. And also the kind of mentality thinking that you can get this information with one uh, call and then maybe save somewhere. And then there is like caching issues, of course. I had those as well. So there are a couple of, uh, couple of things. But I would definitely start small you, and you don't need to rewrite all the app you can rewrite maybe some part of the app or so, some view so uh, yeah don't just rewrite everything it's always a bad idea can graphql can be that be set up with like any database backend that you have oh uh, i guess so yeah because the backend like framework or language you're using that's the thing you need to implement this GraphQL in. And uh, in graphql.org, there are like libraries for every language. I would I, I researched that there's like for Java, for JavaScript, like all these languages. And even for uh, server-side Swift, there's a 
client as well. I haven't tested that, but uh, it seems that folks are working towards that direction. So I think now uh, GraphQL is in quite good shape, but um, yeah, so it needs to decide if you are uh, making the switch or not, but uh, definitely uh, huge companies are using GraphQL. Let's say GitHub. GitHub API supports GraphQL. Uh, I'm not sure if it supports everything. Maybe some uh, listeners can correct, but uh, definitely uh, their API is REST and also GraphQL. So it's really good example how to explore uh, these APIs. And I have used GitHub GraphQL API just playing around myself. So let's say you're building an iPhone app. What are some tools or frameworks out there to take advantage of uh, GraphQL on the back end when you're building a client-side app? If you are talking about these frameworks, then uh, there are like list of libraries in graphql.org. So that's the page which uh, kind of, I would say, promotes and also explains what GraphQL is. And there I'm checking out right now, we will put in the show notes as well. There are possibilities for every language. So whatever language you use, there is something. So let's say you're building an app for the iPhone and Swift. What can you use so that you can like make calls to GraphQL servers? Yeah, from client side, there are, again, many ways. We followed Apollo schema, basically, the protocol. So that's kind of one of the well-known standards from GraphQL world. And in iOS world and Swift world, like iPhone, iPad, and so forth, there is Apollo iOS SDK. So that's the, I would say, the best library using on uh, to create GraphQL apps uh, on iPhone. And uh, it was kind of neglected a bit, like a year ago or something. But now it's uh, coming. It's really good shape because uh, Ellen Shapiro, who is very well known. Uh, speaker and also voice in our community took over the maintenance work, I think like more than half a year ago. And now there's like new release every second uh, week. M- like maybe that's a downside because there there have been many breaking changes, but that's for good. So now, <laughs> now GraphQL for uh, Swift, I would say it's really good shape. And actually now uh, I'm uh, helping to maintain there as well, taking over some WebSocket uh, tasks there. So uh, we have some ideas to improve that uh, that field as well. So Ellen is working uh, like full time for this library. So it's actually in pretty good shape because when I started, uh, I had to do some PRs and whatnot and some tooling was completely broken. But now I would say it's, uh, it's really nice. So if you need to use GraphQL on, uh, in your Swift applications, it's good. What is the what do you mean by Apollo schema? It's specific uh, way how GraphQL kind of works and uh, like that. So it's uh, I don't know in details, but that's uh, there is Apollo. We can put again in the show notes. There's Apollo community. It's like this GraphQL platform, and uh, there you can actually using this Apollo, you can set up the. The, the backend and uh, yeah, it's 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 big big uh, company behind this GraphQL works because GraphQL is standard, but they add their kind of source. Very cool. So let's say you're a manager um, and you're considering like starting a new project. How should you decide between GraphQL and a REST API? 
actually in the beginning i would uh, use rest until you you need graphql and you know what you are doing so i wouldn't uh, just start with graphql immediately unless you have uh, experience with that uh, before because uh, for new folks if they haven't used because i have talked in uh, in the community as well and not many uh, especially in ios world have used or even know about graphql because uh, somehow it hasn't picked up that much and i know maybe why that's my guess that this uh, optionality and uh, you need to pull some library in maybe that's the that's the tricky thing for for uh, swift do you think that's an op, like a problem in other like strong typed languages like say your c sharp or your java i guess so yeah because in your javascript it's totally day and night. Like right. they are, or PHP or Python or something that's more dynamically typed. I could see how it's not as big of a deal. But like, yeah. if you're dealing with a strong type language and your data is so dynamic, then it becomes a real issue. Yeah, yeah. Because I know in uh, in front end world, GraphQL is becoming like not de facto standard, but still it's uh, picking up like much faster, especially in, in JavaScript. Yeah. So is it like an option to just have like a REST API and a GraphQL API side by side? Oh, totally. We were using like that because we didn't uh, move everything from like in one day to GraphQL. We just moved some parts which were we wanted to be, uh, become more flexible. And also we saw because some of the or apps were used in some places where internet was not so stable. And there we uh, implemented these GraphQL calls because we didn't want to send whole data chunk uh, to the client. And then we saw, okay, uh, there was like huge improvement in that part. Yeah. So it sounds like that's definitely an option is like you said, start with the REST API and where you need more advanced querying. That's where GraphQL could really come in. Yeah, definitely. I would actually do like that. So I wouldn't uh, create just GraphQL unless you really uh, want, want, like, I mean, now I'm quite proficient I would set up uh, maybe even this Apollo. They give you possibility to start up the server so you can connect with some uh, database you have. And then uh, then maybe it's good. So, uh, yeah, but uh, if you don't have it, then start small. I think it's uh, always good advice to start small and then see it can happen that the uh, backend or frontend folks, they don't like this GraphQL. And then, I mean, it's good, uh, best for, for the team, but definitely I can mention that GraphQL is in good shape now. So you don't need to kind of worry if it's stable, if it's production ready, it is production ready. Awesome. So one of the questions that I received from the audience was whether uh, real-time communication or data syncing is part of GraphQL. Is there something like that? Yeah, actually that's a hidden gem in, uh, <laughs> in uh, GraphQL. I'm mentioning that in my talk as well in the, in UICOM because GraphQL usually, I mean, I personally as well, I thought, oh, you just request data and that's it. But uh, this Apollo standard has these subscriptions and that's uh, this hidden gem. So you can actually specify, hey, I want to subscribe, for instance, when user changes the phone number and you have the active connection, it's using WebSockets behind the scenes. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so you can have these subscriptions and once something changes on the, on the backend, so backend can send uh, information to the client 
and update the client and client and update the UI or show the notification, whatever. So it's really, really uh, flexible and, and powerful thing. But uh, now it's in good shape. But when I started, uh, there were some small, small issues. But uh, like I said, now Ellen did a great job and, uh, and I had trying to help her as well. Uh, and, and now it's in good shape. And the application, what I was working on, the Apple TV application, actually, by the way, it was working in production mode more than like a year almost in uh, with GraphQL subscriptions. So I would say, and it was uh, rolled out to hundreds of Apple TVs. So I would say it's uh, in good shape. So we we didn't have like huge issues per se. Of course, there can be like internet uh, drops or something, but that can happen even with the rest. So it, it, it's not the subscriptions uh, fault per se. Yeah, so I've started doing quite a bit with WebSockets with my app uh, HeartTwitch. Unfortunately, I wanted to use WebSockets on the Apple Watch, but you actually can't use WebSockets on the Apple Watch. Um, Now you can. Well, at least not when I checked it out uh, a few months ago. Uh, In Um, last WWDC, they released uh, this URL session WebSocket task, and now, now you can. Yeah, it doesn't work on the watch actually. Ah. <laughs> um, it's it's weird. Like the API is there, but once you call it, it'll crash your app wow, um, wow. because it's really restricted to use in like audio, certain audio applications ah, okay. and things yeah, like yeah. that. So uh, I ended up having to switch to using a put request um, whenever I because it's just updating your heart rate. So I yeah, just yeah. call a put request every time you want to update the heart rate rather than doing the WebSocket. However, uh, I did end up utilizing WebSockets when it comes to the web front end and the back end, of course, is in Vapor. So I'm using WebSockets in Vapor oh, nice. um, with like some JavaScript to um, pull pull the heart rate on the web. Yeah, so yeah. I've, I have a big interest in WebSockets. Like you said, I think that there, there's a lot of great places where WebSockets fit in, like when it comes to real-time communication. And things like that. Like, what are some other reasons why you'd use a WebSocket for a backend? Like, great use cases besides like real time notifications. It's also uh, gaming, like uh, real real time gaming, like online gaming. So that's a big chunk. Also, stock market applications because where there every nanosecond counts. Like literally yes. every every nanosecond. Literally, and like <laughs> chat applications as well. And real right. time, yeah, real time is everywhere. Like. Even maybe uh, best example in a current situation, I'm delivering food with uh, courier, right? And now is this um, like delivery without contact, right? Like contactless delivery. And you mm-hmm. want to have this notification when delivery person has left the food right to your doorstep. So you want yes. to enjoy the food while it's still warm, right? So right, right. Uh, and, and uh, everything. So I think now uh, web and also definitely the applications uh, are, are moving this in this real-time communications uh, way. Yeah, and like you said, they added the data, the WebSocket data test. So that in theory should work fine on the other OSs. It's just Apple Watches. On the phone, it works fine. So I actually haven't tested on the watch. Yeah, test it on the watch because I, I based on what I had researched, it sounded like they're paranoid about battery usage. So yeah, even though yeah, the yeah. API is there, actually won't work out. But I'm sure it works fine on the other OSs like iOS and, and TV and Mac because they don't really care about battery usage that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what are what are perhaps some alternatives to WebSockets? 
like what maybe should I employ on the watch, I guess, uh, as a way to get around that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the best alternative, I think it has been forever, at least in my experience, is long polling. So basically how uh, it works is that you request something from the server and server uh, uh, keeps the connection open. So the uh, connection has actually hasn't been closed until the server uh, pushes some information back or it times out after one minute or something. And then immediately you create a, a new connection. I mean, actually long polling in some cases works even better than uh, WebSockets because WebSockets, uh, the tricky thing is that Sometimes uh, you don't know that some messages you haven't received or when you send some messages, the server hasn't received. So you need to have some kind of register and inform, hey, I have received this message because if you need these messages one after another, then you need to keep the record yourself. If it's long polling, then you have just one request open, you close the uh, request and you immediately open new one. So you literally know that there is just one connection all the time, basically. Mm, interesting. I guess outside of the watch, like most browsers should support WebSockets, right? At this point, yeah. Now the WebSocket uh, like support is very good. It in iOS and Android they added in 2013, and even before in 2010, 2011 in Safari and Google Chrome. So okay, support is uh, very good. So you don't need to worry about that. But I think like what I've found is uh, at least with some of the JavaScript libraries, is they tend to like have fallbacks like too long polling or uh, other yeah. alternatives. That seems like to be the case, especially because, you know, who knows what kind of firewall you have set up or some crap like that where WebSockets can become an issue. Was there any alternatives you wanted to mention? There's Stomp protocol, which is actually okay. on top of the WebSockets. So it's more granular way how you structure the messages itself. So I haven't used that protocol but I know it's there and uh, some people actually mentioned in uh, Stack Overflow when, where I talked about WebSockets and then Twitter as well. So uh, I'm aware of that protocol, but not many actually have used. So uh, when I re- research about that, um, it's not widely popular, but long polling is de facto standard. And uh, coming back a bit to that, yeah, long polling in some cases, I know uh, some huge companies, some of my friends, they're using long polling. Because uh, in this fact, factor that it's more stable, like for instance, you're using their app, they're making it's actually on the go. So you're using usually that app uh, on the street, street level or in the elevator or whatever. And there they just said that WebSockets sometimes fail. They tried WebSockets and they went back to long polling because it's like rock solid standard and it's good, but then again, with every request, you send this cookie data, header data, and uh, um, it just reduces the latency, but it, it can improve the stability. So it's like you always need to consider, right? How would you set up? Like now I'm really curious about long polling, if I can get away with that on the watch. How would you even set up something like that? Uh, from the client side or from backend? Oh. Well, let's do client side. Yeah, from client side, you basically open the request, uh, like this URL session uh, data task, right? Like regular mm-hmm. stuff or uh, whatever you use, like Alamo Fire or, or whatnot. And uh, you just keep the connection open, but you need to specify what's the timeout. So you need to have uh, agreement with the server. I have used long polling and we agree that the server keeps 
connection open uh, one minute, like 60 seconds, right? And okay. uh, and you set the timeout in the client as well. So in iOS, you can set the timeout. And once it's, it times out, uh, but basically what we did that the server returns something, whatever, if it's uh, if there is no new data even, it returns something before this one minute. But mm. uh, And then... Uh, if you receive something, you update UI and immediately you create this, uh, another request and you keep it open. So it's a bit uh, weird, but that has been uh, kind of many, many years in, instead of these WebSockets. So, and it has worked. So it's, uh, it's well-known uh, technology, not technology, but approach. Right. So what do you need to do on the server when you are setting up WebSockets? Uh, I have actually set up WebSockets on the server only using uh, Swift Vapor. So uh, okay. I, can, I can talk about that. And I'm going to talk in my talk in UIConf about that as well. But Vapor has really nice APIs to set up also the server and the client from a server side. So they have abstractions over Swift Neo. So that's the de facto standard in, uh, in server side for Swift. So it, and it, I think this is where Swift Neo shines because it processes all the requests in loops. So that's what WebSockets are because you process the requests and you react to these things. Either you send back something or you, whatever you do, what, what's the message is. And uh, there are more lower level, uh, low low level uh, approaches like Swift Neo or Network Framework that's available on the iOS and then uh, these platforms. So there are uh, ways how you can utilize uh, these things. So now the support is uh, great. Although I heard from you that from for, on the watch it maybe is lacking uh, at some parts. So uh, I'm not sure about uh, that. So you have more knowledge about this platform. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I did. Did you do Vapor 3 or Vapor 4? I have used WebSockets on Vapor 3 and also Vapor 4. And I think maybe on Vapor uh, 2. But f- for okay. Vapor, there is one uh, like small uh, package, WebSocket Kit. So you can import only that package and you can set up the server basically in like 10 lines of code. So you don't need this uh, Vapor uh, how to say this main framework, right? This glue right, right, together, right. yeah. And uh, it's 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 real nice because I where I have used WebSockets, I even used in uh, UI testing because uh, I brought up the server during the UI test in another thread, and uh, I used just this uh, Vapor WebSocket Kit module like package, and that's it. Not the huge, uh, not huge, but the main framework itself. So you can use even uh, like that. Nice. So one of the challenges that I'm looking at is how do I keep track of my WebSockets on the server? So let's say, like, how do I know that these five people are listening to this specific set of data? Or uh, how do I organize that correctly when I set up my server? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, it's actually a huge problem. At least that's what I heard from my colleagues uh, who were developing the backend. because. It's similar stuff, actually, with long polling. So you still need to keep up the connections. But with WebSockets, yeah, you need to maybe bump up the backend server, like, resources, let's say. So, mm-hmm. and, and also the threading. So uh, we, were, we, were using, we were using the Java in the backend. And in, in the beginning, like, there were some threading issues. But uh, 
they switched to, I don't know the name, but some, uh, some framework and approach and, uh, it, it was better, but still you need to keep track. How is it performing? Maybe you need to bump up the server uh, amount or, or, or configure the load balancer. So it can be a huge issue, but it's not how to say if you have the long polling approach and if you need long polling approach, it's similar issue anyways. So, uh, so just need to hire a really good backend folks, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like one of the things I'm doing, because I'm looking at being able to share your heart rate with multiple browser windows, and I'm looking at like some sort of like dictionary model just stored in memory yeah. so that I know like ID1 hooks up to these web sockets and ID2 hooks up to these web sockets. Because I don't know like how there's any other way to like broadcast information that comes in uh, in a more organized fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for if you're using uh, Vapor and also the Swift Neo, then you actually specify how many threads you have open for these WebSockets. So if you know in the beginning your app usage will be maybe small or even huge, then you somehow can calculate that. So there is flexibility on, on, on the backend as well to process all the, all the WebSocket uh, connections. But the uh, thing is that not always the... Let's say bot- bottleneck is with WebSockets. Sometimes it can be with back, uh, like database or something. So you always need to keep uh, track of all your infrastructure, not just worry about WebSockets and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's always the case with backend. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. a lot yeah. trickier than we think. What are we talked a bit about URL session WebSocket task, which they just released last year? Yeah. What are some other ways of implementing WebSockets on the client side? Uh, yeah, so uh, there are a couple of great uh, libraries. Uh, I, I can mention one is uh, Starscream. So it's uh, available for all the Swift platforms. And uh, I'm one of the maintainers for the this library. So that's why I know it. But there are a couple of other ones like uh, Swift WebSocket, uh, Socket Rocket, and, and uh, even more. And some of them are even Objective-C, which in this case uh, is good because they are rock solid and they have been rock solid for near more than 10 years. So uh, you don't need to kind of worry about, oh, Objective-C bad or something. So I have mm-hmm. used those ones and it's uh, it's good. But uh, before iOS 13, all of them, they are using CF network framework. Okay. And, and that is really, really old uh, networking framework based yeah, on right. C streams. And there is no native WebSocket implementation. So all these libraries, they have made their own WebSocket implementation using this WebSocket standard protocol. And uh, when you have these bugs, when you're uh, reading or writing to C stream and uh, you don't own that framework code, I have had really, really bad bugs where you just don't know what's happening. It just crashes and uh, uh, I know pointer crashes is some kind of weird issue and then uh, that's it. So, yeah, so... That's why when I, I actually wa- was in this WWDC keynote presentation and where they threw all these uh, like small titles besides Swift UI combine and all that stuff. And I saw URL session WebSocket task. I was, oh, finally, Apple released, right, right. Uh, released that. But now it, it, yeah. it doesn't work on the watch. So <laughs> I know. Let, let's hope they will improve this uh, in this year. Yeah, right. Just give them one more month. Hopefully we'll yeah. be getting full WebSocket support on the watch and that would be a big help. Yeah. Um, so 
let's say you're a project manager or a lead developer, what you think are the big things to consider if you're going to start supporting WebSockets in your app? Definitely. How are you going to test it? So, uh, because you can test rest quite not easily, but easier because you know, when you request something, you get back, everything's fine. Right. But WebSockets, the uh, thing is that these messages happen over real time and they can happen in one minute. There is like 10 minute break. Uh, and then you send back and forth and also you need to keep up these uh, registers and also keeping up the connection. So pinging and ponging in both ways. So actually knowing that this connection is open because before IS uh, 13, uh, there was no like really good way to even understand that this uh, uh, connection is still open. And that I actually saw and I created the uh, radar and they re replied that, yeah, it's known bug. And I asked about that in WWDC and they said, yeah, it's known bug. But uh, <laughs> in the CF network, they are not, they are not going to touch that network actually, because that's more for the just regular sockets. So right, uh, right. It, it, it was, uh, so there are a couple of uh, huge downsides in this, uh, uh, in this case, but uh, nevertheless, I would, uh, I would say that WebSockets, uh, uh, are in good shape, definitely on the on the uh, front end, on the back end as well, and in client side uh, as well. Uh, unless you you have Apple Watch, then maybe you're out of luck. Uh, so, <laughs> but on Apple TV and I, uh, iPhone and iPad, uh, I have tested, I have used them uh, even in production mode, and seems seems uh, in good shape. So yeah, so definitely consider and. Maybe it sounds scary. I know web sockets, like what this kind of means. But then uh, well, let's check out my. You will check out my presentation in uh, UiConf and maybe learn more how how to get started even with that technology. Yeah, I mean, this is gonna sound weird, but I think like web sockets are really magical. How once you get them working, like it's like wow, like I can see the data get updated right away. This is yeah, amazing. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. What are you looking forward to highlighting um, at your talk at UIConf? I want to highlight that it's actually kind of solid uh, technology, so you can use it right now. And there are many ways how to use it. So that's the I want to highlight. And also after my talk, I want that folks know more about WebSockets, how to start it. And for that, actually, I want to mention that I created a small uh, website. It's swiftwebsockets.com. I created that together with my wife. She created the website. Nice. And uh, there you can start uh, and check out how WebSockets work uh, from iOS 13 and up. And there I have a small link uh, to my blog post where you can check out if you want it for uh, iOS 12 and, and, and lower versions. So it's not that scary uh, anymore. At least it was scary for me, but after understanding them in details. And also you don't need to know all the uh, complexity about WebSockets, how the frames were, uh, how these messages are framed and whatnot. So I think there are really great tools out there. And also now from Apple. So I think first class citizen on the platform, it's uh, it's really good uh, good thing to have it. And just to let the audience know, on our next episode, we'll have Tibor Bodex on, the Swift dev. We'll be talking about Vapor 4. So you'll definitely want to check that out if you're interested in back-end Swift development. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really excited to learn more about Swift 4 and see what I can do with WebSockets on that as well. Yeah. 
uh, I just want to ask, what are you, you want to highlight during your talk in UICOF? Oh man, you're, put, you're putting me on the spot. This topic is also important. And I think I have had like issues with this uh, threading like dozens of times, definitely like everyone, I guess. So one of my big things I think is that like, don't over-engineer it. Like I feel like maintainability is a bit more important than optimization. Yeah. And using a lot of the lower level stuff, I don't think is super necessary if you can avoid it. I think there's some cool stuff you can do in GCD, but I think like there's a place for where combine is going to be the future. But I also think mm-hmm. I, we just had this discussion on the last episode with Donnie, but like, I think there's a place for promises as well. Yeah, like yeah. there's a lot more of the like one time asynchronous call where promises are super useful and Swift Neo or uh, Google Futures or Promise Kit, whatever you're using, really helps make your code look a lot nicer. Um, and I really wish that, you know, promises become much more native in Swift. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. So that's it. Use the right abstraction, use a abstraction, and don't over engineer your code, yeah. I think is a big thing. And what I really want to talk about more is like the more of the promises and and combine and the advantages between uh, either of those. I mm-hmm. think I want to highlight in my talk. So yeah, I totally get it. You know, it's getting better. It's a lot better than it used to be, but I think it's super important with how much these devices are becoming more and more multi-core and energy efficient, things like that. Yeah. I think uh, that's something I'm looking forward in upcoming WWDC as well, that maybe they will bring combined support for WebSockets because that's where combined can shine because it can react to these messages. What you receive right. from the server, you can update the UI or whatever. So right. I think it's uh, it's perfect way. And actually, I'm using Rx Swift for that uh, specific reason uh, uh, in combination with WebSockets because I'm reacting to these messages and updating the UI or whatever I need to do. So let's hope for the best, I know. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think there's there's a lot you can do now um, as far as mapping your stuff to combine, um, but it would be nice for a much more optimized API when it comes to things like WebSockets. Because like you said, that's an ideal use case for it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's see. In one month, uh, there will be the main event. We at this point when we are recording, we don't have more information about it. So I hope I hope there's a main event. Jesus Pete's like yeah. that's the thing that worries about that I'm worried about right now is like whether it's gonna be anything at all. I think there will be definitely, but uh maybe not so huge scale. But uh I don't know. Until Apple is hasn't released any any news, I think there will be speculation uh, every year, right? So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Chris Steps, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Yeah, so they can find me in Twitter. So I have username Fasco or F-A-S-S-K-O or my website, which is my name, ChrisTaps.me, where I, I'm blogging every month. So I have planned that I need to write blog posts every month, what I'm working on. And so far, I have been successful with that uh, almost more than a year. So let's see how it's going. And I want to also plug one of the small projects I'm involved in. It's Swift Weekly Brief. So I'm a co-contributor for this uh, newsletter with my friend Bas Brook, where we inform what's happening in open source Swift in Swift community overall every second week. And uh, actually now I'm writing uh, next issue, which will 
come out in a couple of days. So uh, if you don't know that, then uh, check it out. And where was that WebSocket project again? It's swiftwebsockets.com. So that's it, the, the, the website. And there you can see the code samples and also download the playground. So you can have the playground or change the server or whatever and uh, check out how, how, it's, how it's done in, in Swift using URL session WebSocket tasks. So yeah, so that's what it, And I have a couple of blog posts uh, before. So if you just write in Google Swift WebSockets, then most likely some of my blog posts will pop up, at least uh, for me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. Yeah, it was really, really great. I'm talking this uh, this show. I have listened to all the episodes, so thank you for for doing it. And uh, it was really nice that we kind of randomly met in TriSwift, and now we're talking in the, this podcast together. So it's the world is smaller than we think, I think. I hope that we can uh, meet again at a conference once uh, we can get out of the house again. I, I think, uh, yeah, and maybe it, share some sushi again. Yeah, I think everyone wants to meet in person, and that's what I'm missing in in this conference world because I, I want <laughs> to meet uh, everyone in our community. So uh, I'm really missing that part. Yeah, same here. Well, thanks again for joining us for our show. Uh, again, my name is Leo Dion. I'm with Bright Digit. We specialize in iOS and Mac development. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you can, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give us a review and share this on social media. And we will talk to you again on our next episode. Have a good day.